Hello listeners, welcome to today's episode, Jordan Peterson's Beyond Order, Rules 7 to 12. The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961 to 2020. Welcome to Blind Insights. joined today by David Olney. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Tim. And also joined with Peter Thompson. Thank you very much for being here. Hey, it's a pleasure as always. Gentlemen, we've spent the better half of a, over an hour actually really discussing the, the first half of the book. And um, we're sitting down to do the second half after a quick intermission. We're not being very <laughs> roadrunner-like. No. But you know why? That's because we work as hard as we possibly can. <laughs> no, sorry, that, that's a, a joke about the first, uh, sorry, the seventh rule, but the first rule for this episode, work as hard as you possibly can on at least one thing and see what happens. Yep. And all I've got to say here is go watch Bill McRaven's famous YouTube presentation at University of Texas called Make Your Bed. Yeah. And get a much clearer answer about all the things you need to do to achieve things in life in under 20 minutes from someone that gets laughs while he's presenting it. <laughs> I don't have anything more to say. I think the sentence works works out. Make your bed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, it's this rule, uh, kind of like this book is so weird. You could really reduce them down, you know, in the first book, in 12 rules. Mm. Each rule had its own interesting psychological studies, uh, clinical anecdotes, historical anecdotes. This one, not so much. This one's a lot of the same. I think this rule is just doing the whole meaning versus happiness thing again. Mm. Yep. It's saying if you are having experiencing pain or discomfort in life, or just as a general principle, aim towards the highest thing, the thing that you'd be most valuable, gear yourself into something that can achieve it, and then the subsequent meaning will help protect mm. you from the vicissitudes of life. And I, this I, is the first book where he talks about habituation. Habituate yourself to picking something and getting it done. So he's been talking about will for the majority of the book until now. <laughs> and suddenly we move to what a psychologist is trained to do. And that is people to habituate to different behavior. That, so that's very important. But why is it rule seven? Can you can you can we reuse or can we can we use a different word? Can we say something more like resolve? Because that doesn't require the discipline necessarily. Well, that doesn't require the um, inhuman discipline to just do things without. Yeah, but it's not in challenging. It's yourself. not inhuman. Lots and lots of people do. But things. it's but you said it's but we'll we don't have a lot of will right but yeah. what we can do is is decide on something to direct the small amount of will that we have toward mm. right and mm. i feel like that's something that's more like resolve but than it, yeah but it, well, but we, it's, we but resolve, resolve to fo to follow through and it won't be it's not necessarily resolve if it's something okay. you want either right mm. is it i mean okay. you don't have to resolve to brace yourself <laughs> I'm engaged at the moment. I don't have to. Mm. I don't have to have any resolve for getting married. I really want to get married. Happy days. Yeah. yeah. True. Okay. Fair. 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 It's going to be true. amazing. That's true. That's I get true. to erase her personhood and steal her last name. It's going to be <laughs> incredible. <laughs> this uh, will also come out as a comic. 
(laughs) (laughs) But uh, if the aim is correct, Mm. it takes a lot of the sting out of the out of the progress towards it. Okay, you know, if it's if it's a truly valuable aim, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson talks a lot about uh, in his analysis of Pinocchio what the star is, Mm. the star that comes back, and he. He talks a lot that that is that's the it represents your the highest virtue it represents the kind of the transcendent and the luminescent whatever mm. that means for you. So for in the Pinocchio story it's Geppetto wishing that this puppet that he had made that's relying relying on strings and a, a board to move would have its own autonomy. Mm. And so I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's look it's this book it's a lot of the same stuff unfortunately. It's just hard to kind of talk about it in any more complex a way. Well, it's very hard for us to talk in an integrated way when the writing is not particularly integrated. Yeah, well, it's certainly not our job to rewrite the book, is it? So No, and that's why I really just came out with said, go watch Make Your Bed by Bill McRaven. Right. Because mm-hmm. I am rewriting the book by saying, you know, I'd rather listen to a frogman talking about how he learned to be the person he is by doing little things and realizing well, every time you get another little thing done, you are a bit more confident and competent mm. to try doing something bigger. Yeah, right. And that's the message here. But the message is much less clear than Bill McRaven's example. You know, and it, what's so interesting is that Jordan Peterson even talks about this stuff elsewhere in his um, in his catalog. In, Oeuvre. In his, <laughs> yeah, in, his, in his works. He talks about the micro pro, uh, processes that mm. build... Uh, habits mm. you know if you it, you know gosh let's talk about making your bed actually well just or go doing watch, the dishes go and watch that video just little dishes. things you know what's the first thing you do well what's the first thing you do well maybe you notice there's a cup on my on my bedside table you bring that sucker down you know if you can only manage to bring the cup down to the sink that's better than nothing that's mm. better than bedroom cups Certainly better than bathroom cups <laughs> so you know it's uh, sorry <laughs> You know, but I don't know. It's just, it's it's so weird. It's so weird because there's stuff that he's referenced that we're thinking, ah, oh, man, this chapter would be really good if he was bringing up, you know, yada, yada, yada. And yeah. he has brought it up. It's part of his repertoire. Mm. But it seems like it's just in this weird spot. It, this book feels like a first draft. Mm-hmm. It feels like Penguin Random House were like, screw it. We're not touching it. We're spell checking this sucker and pushing it out the door. Mm. Uh, or something. Maybe that's a maybe that's a consequence of the increase in his fame and the eighteen the months book. he's yeah. had. Yeah, yeah, and the eighteen months in and out of hospitals and comas where he was writing this. You gotta, you gotta ask a question. Like, do, do you think he knows that it's not as good, or is it he desperately needed and wanted something to be out in case his health crashes? Yeah, because yeah. you know the the amount his his poor body and brain have been through with all the things medically that have happened. How long could it take to recover to the point maybe of being able to do version 2.0 of this book? Is that even ever possible? I think he'd just move on to, as far as I understand it, there's something like 40 of these things that (sighs) he's got. That's what he said originally, but is he in any state anymore to do them with the level of integration of maps of meaning and 12 rules? He explained them, he put them up on, so originally, if if the listeners don't know what we're talking about, Jordan Peterson put up 40 or so rules for life or something up on Quora, mm. which was like a like an ask me question anything. answer. Yeah, platform. yeah, question and answer platform. 
like we were talking about in the last episode, 12 Rules for Life was the first album. It's the mm. one that mm. used all of his material from his clinical practice, all of his psychological knowledge, his experimentational knowledge. It made maps of meaning readable. <laughs> exactly. Whereas this one... This one is is not so much. Yeah, the lead guitarist has left. <laughs> yeah, this the, is... yeah the, the bass player has discovered that if you just watch porn constantly, you don't have to pay attention to playing. Yeah, Ringo's yeah. tapping the roof with a broom in this one. No, uh, but... <laughs> He's looking for Thomas, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh... Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, and you have to wonder whether or not writing this book was something that was just a personal project Necessity. from Jordan Peterson's perspective yeah. Oh yeah, to actually survive his... You know, yeah. oh, man. For, so for the listeners who don't know, Jordan Peterson has been through the ringer. Mm. He got addicted to benzodiazepines when mm -hmm. he was doing this huge uh, world tour. He, his wife got diagnosed with an untreatable form of cancer, uh, which, was, mm. which was thought to be terminal, which he uh, fell kind of deeper into the benzodiazepine mm. addiction um, well, fell, fell further into the anxiety and depression. Yeah. And his daughter, Michaela, went through more surgery. That's right. Yeah, she, so, I think she had a hip replacement or an uh, ankle. ankle. She, yeah. had a, uh, she has the, this really weird uh, advanced um, kind of autoimmune disease mm. that kind of plagues um, both Jordan and Michaela uh, to a certain extent. So, again, the whole point is the book really was get writing done, get thinking done, get writing done to make sure there was order in all that chaos. Yeah. So this book is not about chaos. It's about his desperate path from chaos back to order. Yeah. So in a sense, the, the name of the book is a misnomer. It's mm. going from total chaos mm. back to an acceptable form of order. Mm. And the, the chapters actually read more as that than they do about what potential for change, growth, and just randomness. We actually need to make the world interesting and better. Yeah. I think, yeah, we can move to rule eight. Yeah, well, it kind of relates mm. to rule eight, kind of leads mm. in nicely because there's one brilliant picture that uh, that all of the anti-Jordan Peterson people love. <laughs> they love this picture. It's the not the one where he's grinning at the webcam, uh, checking his teeth out in the webcam. It's the other one where he's sitting in a very, very, very messy room. There's boxes and garbage on the floor and wrappers and everything like that. And, and that's the image that people always put forward. They're like, oh, Jordan Peterson says clean up your room, but look at his room, it's dirty. I think Jordan actually mentions it in the yep, chapter right at the itself. Right at the beginning. And says, this is what the room looked like in the middle of the world tour. Yeah, <laughs> in the middle of the world tour. Uh, in the middle of the house being renovated. The house is being renovated. Michaela's going through health concerns. His daughter's going through health concerns. Well, Michaela is his daughter. So his wife, Tammy, and his daughter, Michaela, yes. are both going through health concerns. Yeah. Mm. And this is a time where your office is probably going to look like crap. Right. Guess yeah. what? One photo. Pff. But yeah, this idea of, you know, make at least one room beautiful. Mm. The power of beauty. Inviting that into your home. Mm. Mm. And, well, we've talked about it before. We've talked about you know, film, we've talked about music, we've, mm. you know, had Steve Davis on to talk about the importance of the arts. Mm. We're all very convinced about the power and significance of beauty. Mm. Again, it's one of those statements where you go, if you don't know this already, you're missing a huge opportunity to build, and I'll use a Steve Davis word, something very nourishing mm. into your life. Again, the reason I'm playing guitar again is because it's potentially very nourishing mm. if you can learn to just enjoy it, to mm. let it be what it is, and that is a chance to express 
ideas and emotions in a different way that can add some beauty to the world. There's a lot of joy in it. I mean, there's a reason why we have inflated and perhaps distorted home decor, you know, in the sense that, you know, there's a whole keeping up with the Joneses factor of, Mm. you know. Don't let keeping up destroy beauty. Yeah, Mm. because, you know, you can do this, you can just rearrange the things that you have. I mean, you don't have to spend necessarily money to improve the feng shui or flow or whatever of mm, rooms mm. it's just that there is still a lot of joy in in all of that i'm not i'm i'm sure everyone would feel that and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure that's a fairly universal thing about well i think the problem your is space how many people think it's more about going and seeing art or going and seeing theater or going and listening to a band or an orchestra so i think the focus on home is really important mm-hmm mm. Experience out in the world is great, but mm. in the year of COVID, where have we spent most of our time? <laughs> mm. So, you know, in Peter and Pia's case, they got a cute little cat. <laughs> yeah. Now, how much did that add to the beauty of being stuck at home? Massively. Yeah, oh, yeah. Why did I end up getting a guitar again in the midst of COVID? Because we're spending so much time at home. Rather than going out to do something experiential that gives you that lift, you find a way to do something experiential at home that gives you the lift. Mm. So this is about find ways to give yourself that wonderful lift that comes from art and beauty and things that make you step out of yourself. And I think it can be broader than just the idea of beauty because little animals are beautiful. A little cat is a beautiful thing. A, Mm. A dog is a beautiful thing. Our fighting fish Hector before he started savaging everything else in the tank <laughs> and killing every fish he lived with because he was an evil little shit. He was very beautiful. Yeah. So beauty has many forms. <laughs> the thing is, is there something in your day, every day, because it's in your home with you, that helps you transcend the mundane and makes you remember that there is so much more to being and there's so much more that you can be? And that's why I filled my house with Soviet paintings. <laughs> yeah, I kind of question his idea of beauty, but this is the subjective thing of beauty. Whatever works for you. And again, there's all the debates of what objectively is beauty. Mm. But if beauty is something that makes you... Again, I'm going to go the Jonathan Haidt path. And I'm going to say that what you really want to have in your home is something that brings you a sense of awe. Mm. We just go, whoa. So when I pick up my guitar and I play some beautiful extended jazz chord and then hook three or four other chords to it and get a lovely transition going on my lovely little Vox amp with just a little bit of delay and a slightly broken up blues tone and go, I have no idea what I'm going to do beyond that phrase today. But that was awesome that I managed to get my brain and hands and this guitar and that amp and we all got in line and we all did something a bit better Mm -hmm. than the four things should be able to do with my average hands. Mm. So that little bit of awe is, I think, really, I think awe is more important than beauty. Well, it's it's so interesting, isn't it? What we're kind of talking about, you you know, you you were kind of suggesting it there. It's like you you're sitting there the amps there the guitars there your fingers are there and you're just in this kind of space where everything's working together in this kind of kind of patterned way 
I think he talks about it as well with with dancing, mm. and he says that dancing is it's kind of a like a, an imagistic representation of it because you're moving in these sequential patterns yep. along to the music, which is moving in these sequential patterns. And I don't know, it, it it's interesting because you know he says mm. what's so brilliant about Jordan Peterson says what's so brilliant about music in particular is that m- it's impossible to be cynical about it. Mm. And I actually wonder. What do people with no emotional feelings, whether that's, is that sociopath or a psychopath? Oh, again, they're two words being used interchangeably, but the definitions aren't the same. Do, do, do sociopaths psych- like music? Do psychopaths get the joy mm. of music? Well, they tend to get more joy from, I got what I wanted. Mm. So mm. that trumps everything. I, as you were saying that, Peter, I suppose the other thing I started thinking about is he's talking about making a room at home nice Mm. so even though the things you put in the room are objects Mm -hmm. the overall effect is personal Mm. because you've made and shaped that room so this is not um the passivity of just observing it has an active impact you make this space and you enjoy this space Mm. so we're not talking about beauty here as just being a passive thing at some level it's the active thing of Mm. wanting to make a world this way and wanting to engage in it Mm. which is why i come back to something like playing guitar or in Peter's case I gave the example of having the cat in the house Mm. because both things force you into an active state of being and doing things beyond the mundane Mm. and that's why I prefer the word or just to beauty Mm. because yeah an environment can awe you but you need to climb the mountain to see it you have to add some value and you know you have to participate and, you know, uh, um, Jordan talks about this type of stuff in other texts. Mm. You know, mm. it's so weird. I, I think that what they really needed was an editor who was a huge Jordan Peterson nerd. Yep, to bring the pieces They could together. be like, oh, hey, maybe you could mention this in here. Because, you know, he talks about True. he talks about how following beauty is actually a really, it, it can be a difficult, or following awe can be a difficult process because, you know, you have to be quite vulnerable because you're saying, I find this thing awe-inspiring. It could mm. be a piece of art or a piece of music or a, or a little cat or something. And you go, I find this genuinely awe-inspiring. And that's terrifying. People are afraid of being judged about what mm. they find mm. awe-inspiring. Because you're out of your comfort zone and that's really the point of beauty or awe. Yeah. Is, whoa, I'm more, but not in any tangible, simple way. Mm. I'm more in a way that... Yeah, again, Steve Davis's word is best. It nourishes you. Mm. And that's what beauty and all should do. And I'm all for trying to make them as active as possible. Mm. And that comes across a bit in the way he wanted to change his office at the university right. and hanging up the art in the house. That the sort of thing that is constantly there but is less spoken of in the chapter is actively pursue it. Mm. Don't passively consume actively help right. make it don't get a decorator <laughs> yeah because mm. otherwise it still might be nice but it's not you it, won't be yours. And it didn't add to you mm. it might make your day a little bit better but if you make it if you decide what goes there and you find them and you put them in place and you participate in it that that's more mm. so you know the interesting thing listeners with the most recent guitar i got it's an artist guitars semi-acoustic it's a 500 hundred dollar guitar that sounds as good and is as well made as a $1,500 guitar. And that's the point everyone makes 
uh, in the reviews of the artist guitars instruments they've bought. Wow, this thing is amazing for the money, and it makes me so happy making music on something where you're not being affected by how much it cost you. Mm. You saved so much money, and you're still making something nice with it. So it's a win-win. You're economically good, and you're doing something that makes you happy, and you're putting some beauty in the world. Mm. Mm. So that's really the deeper combination of things going on in this chapter. Contribute to the production of this beautiful space. So that not only is it beautiful, but that you can say, once again, you followed through, you finished something. You took responsibility for implementing the steps. Gents, I want to move on to the next rule. I haven't read the chapter, and mm-hmm. the title of it intrigues me greatly, but I'm I'm actually not sure that it would work in every case. If old memories still upset you, write them down carefully and completely. This is Jordan Peterson not explaining. You know, for a guy who's a psychologist, he doesn't. Mm. He barely seems to have mm. theory of mind anymore. Yeah, it's like he doesn't understand that people don't remember everything that he <laughs> he remembers. Yeah, yeah. it's so, like when <laughs> when you guys go, uh, David, what are you talking about? Oh yeah, twenty years of thinking and reading. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, same yeah. thing. Exactly, but it, but you explain it, David. You go, oh, you could you could read go so here. And, you could read so and so, or you could watch so and so on YouTube. Mm, yep. Jordan Peterson talks about nothing. I th- does he mention the amygdala during during this chapter? I, I don't know. Yes, he does. He, he does, does yeah, temporarily. He needs to be entirely talking about the amygdala. So uh, uh, what, I have the the wonderful benefit of being of studying psychology in parallel to this and studying the parts of the brain specifically. The amygdala is a part of the brain. It's very close to the stem, which means it's one of the first bits mm. that was that we, was. That it's it only just beyond reptile brain. Yeah, yeah, barely. Like we're not quite monkeys yet. It is, and it's the brain's alarm system. Mm. It just when it detects something that is bad for the animal, it just. Mm hoots and hollers and goes off and what i think what i think the writing down things is okay so what jordan peterson says is that these the amygdala even though it's a really barbaric strange thing it is still hooked up to our frontal Mm. cortex to Mm. our thinking and so it's an integrated system and what you need his premise is in order to shut down the more base animalistic lizard parts of your brain from worrying you need to derive a tangible and repeating, yeah. you need to derive a tangible solution to the problem that has been plaguing you. That is the only thing that will turn it off. It's like, well, why is my house alarm still going off? Mm. Have you entered the code into the, the to the wall mount? Mm. And if you haven't done that, then it's going to keep going. Mm. And the big thing is that when the amygdala goes off, you get an emotional response mm. that when you think about that thing again, you will get the memories of the emotional response, which then triggers the amygdala again. Yeah. So the idea of writing things down is to go, okay, this event caused these emotional responses originally. If you revisit it calmly, which I think is simply called narrative therapy mm. and is a big area within psychology as mm. far as I can work out, you go, well, now that I see the words, I have more agency now. Mm. Mm-hmm. And by getting the amygdala to calm down and making this about writing and reading words, you're putting yourself in the frontal cortex. You're making yourself the most modern part of your brain where you have the most control. Mm -hmm. You're saying, amygdala, I've got it. This was a historical event. You did well that day. Well done you for kicking off. You might have saved me. But now you're just dragging me back into the terror of that day. Stop. 
But you can't stop being dragged back in until you make an alternative. If you're hiding things in the fog, yep. so to speak. Yeah, this is really an extension of that chapter, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. How, so, okay. I have embarrassing memories that uh, uh, I can think of a few that are my most common intrusive thoughts about mm-hmm. myself, right? I'm not sure that I can provide solutions to things that I find embarrassing when they weren't my fault. Okay, well, then you could say something like, you could write something like, I was put in an uncomfortable situation by other people. Or, it, or, or, or rather, what you might try and do is derive a way that you could even partially theoretically be safe from that or safer mm. from that type of thing in the what future. was unique mm. about the situation yeah. with further analysis what can you become situationally aware of that gives you a warning that something similar could happen again but a conscious warning mm. to stop the amygdala kicking off mm-hmm. so this is about actually saying the house alarm worked brilliantly but what i'm going to do is get a more subtle system of putting awareness in front of the alarm yeah so that my awareness can judge, am I going back into a similar situation? Is there a risk of the alarm going off and a big response? Or can my awareness you know, change direction here? So when we were talking earlier about the significance of situational awareness to change your behavior before things go wrong, this is about getting in front of the memory bursting back up with all its attached emotion mm-hmm. and going, hang on, it, it's going to happen if I don't take control now. Yeah, There's a quote Uh, from the book learn from the past or repeat its horrors in imagination endlessly Mm. which is what which is what those lizard parts of the brain do they just throw out they they project their concern onto our more advanced parts of the brain so we can relive those terrible Mm. high school memories or whatever they are in vivid hd at 3 a.m yep but the point is we know that we've now got all the post-traumatic stress research done since 9-11 and all the wars that the West has been involved in. We're understanding PTSD much better. Mm. And what he's talking about here has been looked at in multiple studies of getting veterans of war and victims of war to write about their experience and go, that was war. Mm. I was in a village in Iraq, Somalia, Afghanistan, Syria. I was armed to the teeth. They were armed to the teeth. It was terrible. Mm. Is my life anything like that anymore? Mm. Am I going to encounter that situation? Well, I might encounter some of the triggers, but only some. I might hear a gunshot. I might hear a siren. I might smell burning fuel. But are those things related to still being in that village armed to the teeth against other people who are armed to the teeth? No. So if I can start seeing the triggers as separate from that entire situation, and there's more and more and more development in how to help people do this. Mm -hmm. So why not acknowledge it? Mm. He's saying something that is now very well known and very well understood Mm. and is the reason why in multiple countries we're looking at MDMA and psilocybin as ways to get people into an altered state to reset their brain, Mm. to reset the amygdala. And the narrative therapy works to a degree, and the evidence is the drug therapy combined with talk therapy works infinitely better. Mm. And after the 18 months he's had, mm, how much good might psilocybin or MDMA and talk therapy do, Jordan? 
I'm guessing an awful lot, like it does most people who've been through trauma that comes back when triggers happen that people don't have mechanisms to control. So the way to deal with my problems is to find some mushrooms and then talk about all the embarrassing memories that I've had. No. (laughs) The way to deal with them (laughs) is to first try writing down what happened and determine if you now have more agency right? or if you now have more situational awareness or can you build both. I'm just not sure that there's any learnings. Anyway, it, there may not be. Without going through specifics, let's mm. let's go. Let's let's move on. Rule ten: Plan and work diligently to maintain the romance in your relationship. Oh man, Jordan got wiped for this one. <laughs> oh, yep. Jordan got in so much trouble for this one. Did he? Oh my god! Okay. Yeah, yeah, because he was, he was like. If you're in a marriage, yeah. right, there's a right amount of sex that healthy people will happen will have, right? <laughs> and he said that amount is not zero. Yep. Right. Well, and, what and, he said from his clinical experience, yeah. yes, is yes. that you know couples who have sex twice a week tend to be in a better state in their relationship than those who have sex once a week, right? Who are in a better state than those who have sex less than once per week. And the closer you get to zero per year, yeah. the worse state the relationship will yeah. be in because there are biological and physical consequences yeah. for both parties. Because there's normally one who doesn't want to have sex mm-hmm. and one who does. Yeah. And that they are both dealing with psychological and physiological issues that then are going to have psychological and physiological consequences. What's a physiological issue, David? I thought that human sexuality was entirely choice-based. It's choice-based, but what about once people get to the point where... Oh, I was it being starts totally being, facetious. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I was asking, what about at the point where people start getting anxious to talk about it yeah, absolutely. and depressed about what's going on? That eventually it's physically manifested as well. Oh, absolutely. And then the poor relationship is going to become far poorer. Yeah. You know, and and he got dra- he got so how he wrote this. it didn't help. But as usual, people should have read the bloody book mm. mm-hmm. rather than dive in and say he's saying people should have more sex. We're well, saying a lot of people need to work out why they aren't yeah. having a bit more sex because in the main, in relationships where people make an effort to normalize, regularize intimacy. Mm. By making the effort to do that, which is uncomfortable in that most societies don't know how to talk about it. Most people don't know how to talk about it. <laughs> most people don't know how to manage their stress levels to the point where they have the energy or the motivation for more sex. Yeah. So if you can do this, it's a good sign you can deal with the other things that happen in a relationship. But you have to wade through an hour and a bit of, oh, this is going to be <laughs> taken out of context and he's going to get even more buried than usual over this one. He got dragged on this one. So the editors are like, editors, did you even read it? Yeah. Did you save him from yourself? Mm. Did you take the message, which is a lack of intimacy probably means there's going to be greater problems. It's not great. More intimacy demonstrates a capacity to communicate and commit to the relationship in a way that probably means the relationship is sophisticated enough and committed enough to work through future problems. That to me was the message of an hour of quarter of oh he's in so much trouble. Yeah, it was an hour. And it was it was a long one. Mm. It was a long one for that. Um, it, it, it Have was, I missed anything, dude? No, there was, there was good stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. look, here's oh, the actual here's, lesson is good. Here's 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 something that we that we kind of skipped over. It was just practical advice for couples that have lapsed into somewhat of a loveless implement date night relationship. Date night rebuild intimacy. That's it. You know, it's like. 
you know, when you go and have an affair, um, you were, you know, you go to a fancy hotel, you eat, you eat lobster on the bed. I don't know what you're doing, but well, you lobster know, with butter sauce, lobster, dominant lobster. With um, butter sauce. <laughs> I'm going to absorb its endorphins and its serotonin. Anyway, so, um, have you know, an affair with your wife. Yeah, yeah, have an affair with your wife. That's it. Put all of the energy that you would conceptually put into an extramarital affair into your significant other. Yeah. You know, do the dishes so they don't go in, walk in the door and see it, or, you know, yep. lower the lighting, go make, out. Make the bedroom nice. Yeah, buy some male lingerie. <laughs> <laughs> buy, some, buy something. Buy something enticing. He says, oh, and you know, this is again, this is where he gets into trouble. He says, women, buy some lingerie and men buy something <laughs> it's like i don't know what he's talking yeah, about but also the implication in there and so it's a, a one-liner mm. where he makes the point look after yourself physically so you're attractive mm. it's like oh dude oh, no. now it's true but don't say it i'd love to say that no, but that's oh god what's but, true is you'd look, if you, you take pride said, in yourself you know, look, then you're probably going to be able to relate to your partner yeah. better Peer but and, that's Peer a totally and, different thing Pierre and I, my fiance and I, have had this conversation. I think I brought it up, you know, about a year or something ago. I was just like, we, we must have been eating some McDonald's or something terrible. And I was like, Pierre, do you want to get fat? And she looked at me and she said, No. And I was like, All right, okay, that's fine. It's very good that that decision was made for the physical well-being of both of you. Yeah. Uh, uh, like have I've, your weekly McDonald's fix. Awesome. Mm. And then move on to being able to be healthy and happy together for decades. Yeah, well, I've, way better plan. Yeah, well, I've I've instituted a bit of a bit of a weight session, bit of a weights routine to try and get myself um, get myself uh, ship shape. But uh, you know, that, it's just one of those things. You you will in a relationship, you may have to make compromises that you don't necessarily feel that you don't necessarily feel are necessary, yeah. Mm. that you don't necessarily feel are necessary. But it's a relationship. It's a give and take. Mm. You have to be willing to meet this person halfway mm. or otherwise you're just going to – your relationship will get more and more brittle mm. until it risks snapping apart in a crisis. And the endorphins of an 18 and 19-year-old mm. are going to get smashed by the reality of being in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s or your 60s. So recognize that endorphins are not going to get the job done mm. for guaranteeing that intimacy is still there as a stress reliever and a connection builder. Man, I have struggled with that for years. I've ne I, <laughs> I mean, which is weird, right? Because I'm not that far out of my teens, but I, I have not felt like that in what I perceive as a long time. <laughs> mm. But as a consequence of that, maybe you made a deliberate choice far earlier than most people. To build a relationship mm. and to maintain a Absolutely, relationship, yeah, I did. But rather than hope endorphins will get the job done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I, I I struggle with the fact that since COVID, I I I I put on weight, and as someone who is traditionally what mesomorphic is that right? No, um, whatever. I have one of those body types that throughout my life I've just never been able to put on weight, mm. <laughs> right? And so now I am seeing myself in a different light, uh -oh. and I can't help but share that with Jade. Now, is that an inappropriate thing according to this chapter? What, what do you mean by sharing? sharing it? So when I when I say that, I'm just saying, oh, like I I don't I like I don't like the way that so this you, looks so or do you whatever. Feel, oh, you feel like you're putting on a bit of weight through COVID? Uh, yeah, but how are you sharing that? By calling myself fatty, like I got mm -hmm. a little tummy and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that's not you being judgmental of no, Jade. Yeah. 
And it's not you running away from the relationship. No, no, no. Oh, so I see. there's okay, no so problem. It's, it doesn't matter if I talk about myself that way. Because no. equally, no, the reason I bring this up as if it was a problem is because Jade is also doing the same thing because yeah. she's put on weight because she's been going to gym. And again, it's just that thing of not being used to seeing yourself in a certain way, mm. even though she wanted to put weight on. Yeah. And we're talking about ourselves badly and doing that to each other. Does that have a, I imagine that has a negative effect on intimacy. Yeah, but again, that's to each other. If you're actually saying, hey, you can feel that putting the bit of weight on you've put on makes you less than happy with yourself. Mm. But, you know, if Jade's saying, well, duh, it's called life, Mm. get over it. You're being supported. Yeah. So there's no problem. As long as you don't mind it. I see. I see. Okay. So it's it's so much. It's it, the the problem is uh, saying that about the other person yeah. would be yeah, well, and the probably, total and utter. Yeah. And, and what he's really like talking about is the total and utter death of intimacy. Mm. Right. That there is no conversation. Yeah. There is no interaction. Mm. My sense of inti- intimacy is strongly tied to doing things together, which doing date nights and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And again, if that's so normal, that's a great grounding. It, but the key is just being disciplined and making those things happen. But I mean, you're Continue, already... it's normal. So you keep just being normal. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> most people, I don't think, ever made it deliberate. Mm. There was endorphins once, and then there were less. Yeah. And then there was stress, and then there was less. Yeah. yeah. I, I think well, the problem is, is that people don't know why that happens. Right. Mm. Yeah. People chase the chase the dragon. Yeah. Seriously, chase that emotional uh, feeling. That's mm. like uh, they were when they were sixteen. Uh, yeah. Mm. Was it? lasts for about that real buzz i think it lasts for about 12 13 months or something if which you're is young really enough. yeah if which you're is, young enough which is just long enough funnily enough to conceive and yeah, um, partner bring a up baby in pregnancy to, and be normalized as a couple in the social lives yep. would our bodies do that to us i know that, that would be the trail oh no biologically awesome. top 10 anime betrayals yeah exactly uh, Oh man. Okay. Yeah. Well, no. I, I'm going to refer to Height for that because he takes that to the next step in the happiness hypothesis, doesn't Ooh. he? Uh, he talks about love. He has a whole chapter on that. I feel like he talks. Well, he has a book on theories of love, doesn't he? Oh, does he? Does he? Or is it? No, you're right. It's a chapter. Yeah. Again, anywhere I'm t- where people talk about love, I'm like, hmm, this will be interesting. <laughs> I, I, so I like his the most. On. I like his the most of all of the thing. And you know what? When I read that, um, I took notes down for my vows like mm, yep. so yeah it, it had an impact that's right um that's Whereas where I'll jordan's managed to lots of people have taken notes going we're gonna hurt him yeah <laughs> yeah well that's one of those cases of like the rule not necessarily being political but mm. the way that people read it and the, sometimes the way that he says things are political. well if he'd just written it clinically yeah what i can say from clinical experience yeah. is that maintaining intimacy is far better for relationships than not yeah. Yes. Even that would have been yeah, a, a, a circum- less of a better qualifier. Yeah. A, yeah. a circumstance where one person in a relationship is not receiving an adequate amount of sexual attention is <laughs> only going to go for so long before it causes a problem Major in the relationship. Problems. Yeah. yeah. And that's just stating truth. Yeah. Well, we'll move on to rule number 11. Do not allow yourself to become resentful, deceitful, or arrogant, which feels like a pulled straight out of the pre- like the previous book. Yeah, we're, we're back to order. Yeah, and the bit on resentfulness, I get. The other two bits, I'm like, could you just say resentful and please end the chapter? Oh, really? It's like you've overwritten, you've overcooked. The pancake is now charcoal. Yeah. I, I've, I always like the way that he was he described the the, tr- the the terrible trinity. I like how he describes it in the the line. I don't like how he writes the chapter. Yeah. I see. Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, there's more words. Why? He's made the point. 
Okay. Could we please belabor this for another 40 minutes? Oh, we have. No, oh, that no, that one was like an hour and 40 minutes. Oh, man, I that just, was a long I just, long That one I got up to twice normal chapter. speed, so it was true. It was Peterson Chipmunk. Should oh, I wow. just pick chapters that I actually want to listen to and just ignore the other one? Uh, I, uh, yeah, maybe. Okay. Yeah, sure. Well, if, you, if you really want to do it, have you not yeah. Have you not felt like you've read this book now, having talked to us? Yeah, I probably should, yeah. really, honestly. Oh, I Wait, still... No, I'm saying you sh- I'm yeah, saying You just don't need to I'm saying point, you don't dude. need to. Yeah, because you've been smart. No, but that, that's to... what I mean. Like, I, yeah. I should, I should feel like that. The only thing that I really mm. want to listen to is if, if I'll, I want to probably listen to Rule Nine and Ten. I want, I would like to delve more into that, at oh. least to know where to look mm. further. Mm. Mm. So, really, the resentful stuff. I don't know, Peter. Do we need to even go into this one? <sighs> let's let's go into it. let's go into it really, really briefly. Okay. Mm. It, it kind of reminds me of Nietzsche's theory of uh, resentment, mm. which is uh, it's basically. So he talked, Jordan talked about earlier using your feelings, your negative internal feelings, your kind of resentment and your anger or whatever to guide you, to show you what's wrong, Mm -hmm. which guides your efforts to fix it. Mm. Resentiment is more like you have those feelings of negativity and you just compound them through your actions. You're justifying Mm. your victim status. You make them, you make things worse. Exclusion. Mm. Right. Yeah. So it's the classic angry teenager who actually could sort it all tomorrow but they've normalized feeling bad. And by feeling bad and behaving in the way they do, they attract behavior that makes them continue to believe it's true. Mm-hmm. So uh, so it's angry teenager syndrome. So so don't do not do that. Yeah, just don't. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Leads to bad places. Or, or, dece- or be deceitful or arrogant. Or if yeah. you're going to do it, make sure the first album's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, number 12, gents. Uh, we've made it. <laughs> the last rule. Yeah. Be grateful in spite of your suffering. Well, yeah. back to Viktor Frankl. Right? Yep. Okay. Like, yeah. And once again, far better written by Frankl. Am I un- to understand that the gratefulness is he expands on that word a little bit? Uh, yeah. That there is all these moments of awesome and beauty mm. and connectedness and joy. But always remember, life is pain. So in a sense, he's, he's profoundly Nietzschean without reading proper Nietzsche. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, guess what? The smarter you are, the more aware you are, the more you see how much pain and suffering there is mm. and the more pain and suffering you experience by not being able to just slide on through the world mm. and not being able to connect with people quickly because you're seeing things too deeply. Mm. And guess what? That's going to hurt. Mm. And how the hell is this helping get us beyond order? Yeah, it's an interesting way to end the book then, isn't it? It's actually saying there is no order, there's just pain. And sorry, if that's his worldview, no wonder the anxiety and depression kept getting worse. Like I'm a cynical optimist and even I will say things are shit, but guess what? It's pretty easy to fix an awful lot of it. Mm. Yeah, look, I think he, he uses the, the the terrible things happening in the world as a kind of a call to action, like a spurring to action. It's like, hey, life is really terrible and it's going to get more terrible whether or not you pay attention to it. So mm. pay attention to it, make it less bad while you can, maybe. Um, in, in this last chapter, there is one gem of a quote that I picked out and he says, the proper thankful attitude towards that existence and possibility positions you better than any other attitude. And so he's kind of talking about the the game player. What mm. is the way? What is the game? What is the game play to play the set of possible games the best? What is that attitude? And it's mm. this uh, grateful, th- this gratitude in the face of your suffering. It's a mm. willingness to endure, to be the fool, to be the learner, 
So um, once again, we need to jump into all the psychological literature that makes the point more clearly. Yeah. <laughs> so jump into Martin Seligman and mm. the lady who wrote Grit, Angela Duckworth, mm. and go, hang on, people with passion and persistence do fine mm. almost anywhere at almost any time mm. because passion and persistence get them through. Mm. And I think passion and persistence are words that mean more to me than be grateful despite the suffering. No, find something you're passionate about and be persistent. Mm. Again, make it an active thing where I'm driving on through, where I'm wading on through the treacle and I will make it out the other side. Mm. Why would I want to be grateful despite the suffering? That is some sort of weird passivity of being dropped in one of Dante's hells and going... Yeah, what do you mean I can't build a breaching charge and blow the shit out of this joint? Mm. Of course you can if you've got passion and persistence. So there's an abrogation of agency mm. in his chapter that I don't like. I, I'm i not so sure. I, I think it's more of like a life hack type thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know, I was reading some papers a while back talking about what happens when people practice uh, gratitude, like neurologically. Yep. And it seems to actually change. Oh, it doesn't it's change huge. The stuff in Seligman on writing a thank you letter right. and going and reading it to the person is so good for mental health. Yeah, it's it's insanely good. It yep. actually it changes your neurophysiology to yep. to to be less sensitive to negativity. Yep. Um, all of the good stuff. It's really crazy. Being grateful is really yep. good. That's, and at the end of every day, doing that little Seligman exercise of writing down three things that went well and why oh. every day at the end of the day. The you know, three things that went well and why at the end of every day can improve mental health dramatically. When yeah. I was really suffering with depression and anxiety a couple of years ago, I would I would do that. When I would feel particularly overwhelmed, I would sit down and I would just start and I would start with trying to feel gratitude about the most simple things. Yep. Oh, I'm sitting down in a chair. Yep. The chair, chair is, is comfy. A, chair is that a, went well and why? Chair is at a nice table. Yep. The table's under a, 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 a secure roof. The roof is in a house that's filled with people I love, you know, and and so on and yep. so on. And then I'd kind of, oh, I could take a breath and go about yep, my it day. Worked. And over time, I've refined that into a little prayer type thing. Um, again, because of Jordan Peterson, because, you know, I was doing these little thank you things and kind of appealing to the universe in gratitude. And then Jordan Peterson was saying, you know, you're not what you think you are. Not in this book, because this book's rubbish, but in his former <laughs> things that he has done. You're not what you think you are. You are what you do. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah. my God, I'm basically getting down on my knees and praying three times a day mm. about how grateful I am to the universe for the blessings that have kind of manifested themselves in my life. Um, so that was kind of a way that that I started out in the hard neuroscience mm. thinking if you think about if you meditate on your gratitude it actually brings along brain mm. changes which will make your affective mm. experience less bad mm. and then i've gone through that into a kind of religious practice thing where it's just like uh, this will uh, bring you into line with divinity or something which mm. it certainly does at least in terms of so like, we're almost in maslowian self-transcendence yes yeah, absolutely yeah Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can't remember the theorist. We were talking about um, a theory of intelligences. I think I remember it was about 12 intelligences. I think it was a quite an early IQ or quite an early intelligence theorist. I can't remember the, the practitioner, unfortunately. 
and they I think he did about 12 and then later he added a 13th one which was existential intelligence he, th- he thought you know body kinesthetic intelligence mm-hmm. musical intelligence yeah. so very very broad understanding but then he added this last one which was a, existential, a, existential existential intelligence, intelligence which was that kind of that that Viktor Frankl type mm. thing the people or the ability to uh, what would you say, grasp the luminescent in such a way that it helps you through your life. Yep. So I, I don't know. That That's the kind of the vibe I get from it. But it's then the it, vibe I get, but I would have rather had again, Seligman or yep. Duckworth. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't reference anything. No. Uh, uh, or tell uh, you how. No. So he's just kind of, it's like, it's like, um, gosh, this is a mean. This is a mean thing to say. It's like your senile uncle who's telling a story <laughs> that somebody else has told him as though he did it. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, kid, live life. It's like I don't remember how. Uh, this reminds me of when I crossed the Delaware with George Washington. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if you did that yourself actually and there's probably there's probably bigger questions of reincarnation to be sorted first bigger questions (laughs) so look it's an it's it's an interesting book if you get all the references but if you don't gosh Mm, this would be a hard read i'm not sure what it does for the young guys who (laughs) don't read no at least 12 rules did something for people who hadn't read before yeah i don't see that this book does anything for people who haven't read other than give them big ideas and no clear way to articulate them in a way that will genuinely improve their life. Yeah, and perhaps some counterproductive, overly conservative um, ideas for a time where maybe we need some divergent thinking to really kind of get our butts out of the fire. Yeah, mm. I'd, I'd love to see, you know, uh, it was interesting your comment at, at the start of the first episode, Peter, which was that he still represents this moment in time mm. of the social dilemmas that we have at the moment but i i'm i'm fascinated i'm eager to see what who who and what comes next I, I'm, I'm not sure that that peterson will transcend yeah it's it's so interesting um and so tragic in a way because you know jordan peterson's he's been blasted by the left mm. but now and you know and even I, the writer now well, getting well stuck that's in. the thing i'm in a couple yeah. of anti-postmodernist type mm. <laughs> groups and they are strongly right and the the right wing have just figured out that jordan peterson is actually center left mm. or or he's slightly right of center yeah center mm. yeah, yeah, yeah 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 you know and they've they're, they're furious about it they're like mm. can't believe jordan cuckerthan yeah you know talking about this you know and it's just like well welcome to the Welcome to the um, welcome to the program. Um, <laughs> right, it's time for Guns and Roses. Welcome to the jungle because <laughs> we've got fun and games. <laughs> so I don't know. You know, he he certainly he certainly was the kind of the person we wanted a couple of years ago when we were getting frustrated with this woke stuff that nobody was uh, talking about. But now, man, look, it, it started to go awry when Donald Trump did his. Uh, he was out in front of Run- Mount Rushmore, mm. and he did an excellent speech about um uh, about um oh gosh what was it? about uh cancel culture and about political correctness and about this kind of woke leftism that's been coming out and i thought oh god because th- they have figured it out yeah, when figured trump out. does a good speech we know we're in trouble well that's the thing that's yeah. the thing it was it was really good and he was fucking it up because he was reading off the teleprompter mm. and these woke people they've infiltrated all of our institutions yes they have 
I left them, and it's like, yeah, Donald just read the teleprompter. Yeah. But but this is the thing now, because the left has not, because the left has been too busy in, I suppose, in what cases that has making hay while the sun shines, which is mm -hmm. good. You know, we were talking before about how uh, I think we might have even been talking off off mic about uh, the kind of uh, reforms that Biden is doing now, sweeping reforms kind of under the under the rug, but. The left has lost its opportunity to criticize woke culture. Yep. They've kind of swallowed. They've onboarded with it. They've onboarded with it. And mm. what that means is that criticism, very legitimate criticism of the woke movement is now going to be the exclusive political domain and intellectual right. property mm. of the right. So we'll have psychos on both sides going head to head. <sighs> yeah. And that, listeners, sadly, <laughs> is where at the end of a big book we are. Yep. Going, last time we were kind of in the middle and glad for 12 rules to keep us company mm. this time we're in the middle mm, and mm. less glad that beyond order exists because it's not elevated us out of the swamp no. it's not moved us to a higher level of enlightenment it's made us reflect on the fact that we're quite well read but that's that's not much to get out of a very big book no with that unfortunate bombshell i'll take the top gear close uh, thank you very much for joining us peter thompson hey look it, it's a pleasure have me back anytime and for our listeners you know go back and look at his older stuff look at the youtube lectures the entire entire undergraduate courses in psychology and whatever are up there for free mm. so you uh, feel free to take a look at that it's a lot more interesting and a lot more um sourced <laughs> a lot better sourced than um, beyond order uh, and thank you very much david Orney. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, listeners. And I'm going to quote Bill McRaven. Make your bed. Hello, audience. Thank you for listening to Blind Insights. If you're enjoying the show, please remember to subscribe and share your favorite episodes or leave us a review if you really love us. We'd love to hear from you. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter at Blind Insights or send us a recorded question to the email in the description to feature on an episode. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Ozcast Network. Peace out. <laughs>